I do want to welcome you. Glad you are joining us to worship at the Brentwood uh, Brentwood campus, at the Franklin campus, some live streaming. Um, we're delighted you're here. We have come to the uh, sort of ending of our study through the book of Jonah. I say sort of ending for two reasons. It's an almost ending. Uh, first of all, because while I'm going to take the last three verses and uh, we're going to wrap up the book today. We're not going to be done. Uh, next week, Michael's going to pick up Jonah one more time, and uh, he's going to take the passages that, that Jesus, where he refers to Jonah, and we passed over those, but we're going to go back to them and go, what did, what did Jesus mean when he talked about Jonah? What does it mean for us? And then the week after that, Bill will pick up Jonah for the last time, and uh, Bill will take the whole book, all four chapters, and walk us through a review and, and application of the book, but it's it's an almost end. Secondly, because of the way the book ends, I don't know if you've you've gone there or thought about it, but it's just odd. It's an awkward ending, if you could even call it an ending. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things that if we don't discern why it ends that way, I mean, what, what's going on? Then we kind of just leave, just kind of scratching your head and not sure. You know, you read it and you go, "What is there? Something else?" But if we, if we can grasp and discern, you know, what, what was the author's intent by ending it the way that he does, then I think that it can change us at the heart level. Remember, as we got into chapter four, we talked about a few weeks ago, it's, oh my gosh, he's all about the heart, the core of who we are. And I think if we get the author's intent, then we'll leave here not just thinking differently. Okay, but we can leave the book of Jonah truly living differently from here. Now, to prepare us for the final three verses, I want you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of John, actually, the Gospel of John. Stay with me. Uh, I think it'll help us get to Jonah in a moment. I happen to pass through John's Gospel, chapter 6, John 6, this week in my own devotions, you know, just reading through the Bible and I go back and read through the Bible. So it's just my devotional reading. I hit John 6 early in the week and I thought, God, that, that helps me understand something about Jonah. I'm not even going to give it the, the context. We don't really need the whole context. You can see if you've got in your Bible, my Bible says uh, in uh, John 6, it says that uh, 5,000 are fed. That's what's going to happen in the chapter. But but I just want you to hear something Jesus says. Pick it up in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus... Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now here's the passage. Verse 6. This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. I, I love it. It's just point blank because we can kind of wonder, did Jesus know what he was going to do? Well, he did. That's kind of sneaky. You know, they're testing him in this way, asking him a question. He goes on to do what he was going to do. But 
the, the point I want to make here is that when Jesus asks a question, it's not for his own benefit, per se. Do you see that? I can say it another way. When God asks you a question, when God asks a question, it's not for lack of information on his part. It is, I want to suggest, an invitation for the person who's got the question coming at him to look in. What is going on in here? It's always been this way. Don't turn there, but Genesis 3.9, Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit. They've turned their back on God. They've rebelled. God comes to them in the garden, and you know the story. The first words out of God's mouth after the fall are, where are you? And it's almost humorous, isn't it? <laughs> like, like, like God can't see. Where are, why the question? Because it was an invitation for them to look. What in the world have we, where, where are we? Where's my heart? And if you turn the page into chapter four, verse six, God has regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain's. Cain gets upset. And so he comes to Cain and what comes out of God's mouth? A question. Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? In both instances, you see, God's question was an invitation to go, not out here, but to go, what's going on here? And as these two examples play out, you will remember uh, they didn't answer well. And if I could simplify it, they blamed and then, and then they say, it's the circumstances around, whatever. They blamed it out here. They didn't go here. And the consequences were disastrous. Of course, we know Adam and Eve, they're expelled from the garden, right? Cursed, expelled from the garden. And if you read chapter 4, verse 6, God asks a question. Verse 7, he kills his brother. He didn't answer the question well. I was saying all of this to remind us that when God asks a question... A lot is at stake. That's my point. There was a lot at stake in the garden. There's always a lot at stake when you ask a question. For the individual, yes. But please know, for the kingdom, for redemptive history, there's a lot at stake when he asks a question. Now, with that, let's flip all the way over to the book of Jonah. We have been warned Watch out for questions from God. Jonah has spoken God's proclamation to the great city of Nineveh. The city has repented. They have turned to God. God has relented from destroying them for their wickedness. And we pick up the story in chapter 4. And I want to go all the way through chapter 4 because it will give us you know, the runway, so to speak, to understand the last three verses. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Ding, 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 ding. Question, question, question. Ooh, this questions matter. I wonder what he's going to do with his, I wonder what he's going to do with his question. Verse five, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. 
There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be shade, a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Oh, what did Jonah do with God's question? We don't know exactly, but the text seems to indicate he ignored it. Went up and sat frustrated on the ridge and looked at the city. Bill walked us through, by the way, this parable, right? He's gonna, God's gonna act out something to Jonah so Jonah understands something and all the appointments of the worm, the plant, the east wind, and the other two that we see in the book. And Bill walked through those appointments, pluses or minuses. You know, that's pretty good. That's not so good. That's pretty good. Well, in the end of the day, it's all God's grace relentlessly pursuing Jonah. Now the book concludes, verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Ding, 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 let's start. Another question! It really matters! Jonah says, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Well, there you go. Then the Lord said... You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, in which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Ding, 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 stop right there, because we can miss this. It's another question. It really matters. Should I not have compassion On Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand, their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Then you kind of want to go and, you know, it's it's over. Well, let's do this. Let's take it as you have in your booklets that we gave you. Observation, interpretation, application. That's how we study the Bible. What do I see? What's there? And this, by the way, is I think it's very brief and it's very to the point. What do we see? The number of things, but I'm going to basically put it in a word picture or or, or I'm going to have you imagine something in your mind's eye that I think tells us what's here. God, it seems here, he sets up sort of like a scale. More like the scales of justice. You know, you know, the pendulum in the middle and the scale on either side. You with me? So you gotta have this picture in your mind. It's like a scale of justice, so to speak. And God says on one side, he's gonna put Jonah's compassion and he's gonna put his compassion for Nineveh on the other side. And note, note this, that God didn't say, Jonah, you don't have any compassion. You know, he just, he said, you do have compassion. Now let's weigh it against my compassion. Jonah's compassion for the plant. Okay, here we go. We got this scale here, so we're going to put Jonah. He's going to put, you had compassion on the plant. Boom, it lands on this side of the scale. And he says to Jonah, you know, you didn't create it. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't cultivate it. 
It wasn't even here a long time. You know, the na- time nature of this thing is it popped up and it was gone. It was very transitory. Uh, she had, y- y- you had compassion on it. Okay. You know, I don't know how much weight to give it. And then God says, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? A city of 120,000 persons who do not know their left from their right hand. This phrase, you know, the statement 120,000 persons, it's, it's often been taken to mean a, a child, their children there. You know, there's the innocent children. There's 120,000 of them. If that were true, then, then the, the population of Nineveh would be in the half million, 600,000 range. And this is not dogmatic by any means, but it seems, you know, we know historically, archaeologically, they've never found anything to support that Nineveh was that big, so to speak. And when you read the text, 120,000 persons, the Hebrew word is Adam. It's, it's the word for persons. They've got a word for children. They didn't use it that it's best to see there's 120,000 people there. Oh, they don't know their left from their right hand. What, what, what does that mean? Well, they don't, they can't, the idea is they can't discern right from wrong. They, they can't discern truth from error. And there's a, there's a, a nuance in this phrase that's, they're trapped in that. It's 120,000. They can't get out of that. Now, they're responsible. You don't, don't, don't throw it out like, well, since they can't get out of it, they're not responsible for all the blood, all the gory stuff they do. No, they're responsible, but they're trapped in that unless someone comes and tells them this is right and this is wrong because there is a God who's holy and just. What about this phrase and, uh, as well as many animals? What do we make it? What do we say? All dogs go to heaven, you know, kind of thing, maybe. Um, well, it's when you look at the argument and what God is doing, it, it, it seems more like this. Jonah, you feel justified, in, you know, in being angry because of the plant. Um, you're not you're not going to let me have compassion on Nineveh. Would you at least let me have compassion on the animals? <laughs> you know, it's more along those lines, we think. If we parallel what, what God said of Jonah and the plant with, with, with God and his connection to Nineveh, you understand, take Nineveh, Jonah, uh, you didn't create, plant, grow, whatever, but the people of Nineveh, you, you went, I created. I created. I nurtured them. Uh, they're, 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 my, you know, I'm, they're people. Uh, the, the plants here today, gone tomorrow. Do you understand these, that people live forever? 120,000 people that live forever. They, they have souls made in my image. There is no comparison. Let's do the scale. Jonah, you're wrong. Your values are absolutely convoluted, out of whack. I, I don't know what the scale, the scale would do something like, you know, the scale would just go, you know, it would just be here. There'd be no right arm to the scale because the weight of God's compassion. And then the story ends with a question. With a question. Okay, what does it mean? Okay, observation, interpretation. Well, this is pretty basic, but it certainly means this. People matter more than plants. 
it means this. People matter more than plants. People matter more than animals. People matter more than... What, what do we put here? Than anything! <laughs> that's, that's the point. People matter more than anything. From Genesis to Revelation, is this a story of God coming to redeem things? Well, you know, I want to be careful here because all of creation matters. The plants and it does. So I don't I want to be careful here. But, but there's a value system here and he's coming to redeem a humanity, a people for himself. I could say it maybe in principle form like this. God loves wicked people and wants to rescue them from destruction. That's what it means. And he does. If I, if I nuanced it a bit, I might say it in principle form. Okay, what's this mean? Biblical compassion acts for the good of helpless and undeserving people. This is the whole, the whole thing is God's compassion. It always acts for the good of helpless and undeserving people. Okay, observation, interpretation, application. Okay, Lloyd, what does it mean for us? What do I, what, what, what do we do with that? How does that affect us? How does it change us? Well, first thing we have to say this is, does it apply to us? Does it apply to us? The, the, the text, the story, these verses. You know, one way we can start is this. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Let's ask, let me ask you this question. Is that a question for Jonah only? Or is that a question for others? We, we've got to answer that. That's where we've got to start if we're going to apply this. Who's it for? I want to suggest when Paul says all Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and righteousness, for training in righteousness, all, that, that all Scripture, that we're in Jonah because it's a word to us. I want to be careful here, but this question, yes, he asked it of Jonah, but we do understand the question is for everyone who reads it. Okay? So that's the first step in application. Is it for us? Yes, it's for us. Second step is to answer it. If it's for us, then answer it. How would you answer the question? Let me, let me phrase it a different way. Let me, let me phrase it like this, and you don't have to say it out loud, but you need to answer it, I guess, in your mind, get to an answer. Is it God's nature to have compassion on the helpless and undeserving? Let's answer that. Yes, I, I think when we read the passage, when Jonah himself said, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. See, that, that's God. That's his nature. That's his character. Should I not have compassion on him? You, how do I say this? God, you can't not have compassion because you're love. You must, you will, you are, you do. Now, catch this though. When, when did God have compassion on Nineveh? I want to nuance this. When did he have compassion on Nineveh? Was it when they put the sackcloth and ashes on? Or was it when they were filleting people and cruelly hanging their skins up on the wall and cut? When did he have compassion? When they were that? Or when they were this? When? When they're wicked! In their fallenness! When they didn't know the right hand from the left hand, he had compassion upon them. 
And, and we, we, I think we hear, can hear the echo of Paul in Romans in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, he didn't, he didn't, you don't clean, he didn't look at the Ninevites and go, man, when you guys stop doing all that awful stuff, I'm gonna love you. No, he said, I love you. He, he did, he loved, loves. He loves. <laughs> he can do no other. It reminds us, I think, when we catch that whiff of Romans, Every one of us. Ninevites. And now we're beginning to breathe the text. See, now now the text, I think, will begin to get in us. And we can be transformed by the truth. See, what did God's compassion... He had compassion on these wicked people. What did his compassion move him to do? Well, then we go all the way to Jonah chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. Well, God so loved Nineveh that he called his prophet to go and tell them of his great love. If the story tells us anything, it says biblical compassion always acts. Biblical compassion does. Biblical compassion moves. Biblical compassion pursues. Biblical compassion goes. Here's another Bible study question, okay? Is the command in chapter 1, verse 2, is that command just for Jonah or is it for others? Now, you got to think about this one. Don't answer out loud. Arise, go to Nineveh. And tell them of my great love. Is that for Jonah or for others? Well, it's for Jonah. <laughs> I, I don't know that you're going to get a call from God, go to Nineveh. This is the story. This particular call was for Jonah. But do you hear in that call? Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, he's said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, he's talking to his disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. Did you hear? They sound kind of similar. Well, of course they sound similar. Because for all of us, please hear this, who have tasted the compassion of God, you do understand when, when we taste that compassion, when we say, should I not have compassion on them? And we say, God, yes. Our yes to that question and our yes to God <laughs> involves us in taking that compassion to the world. We're swept up in it. We can't escape it. It's our privilege and responsibility. If you and I have trusted Christ, which is his most perfect and full expression of his compassion, then we're required, invited, compelled to take that compassion to Nineveh. And now when you get there, Jonah's story becomes your story. It becomes our story, doesn't it? And if we simplified it, we could say this, um, do I see my life? 
I'll speak for myself. Do I see my life as my life, and metaphorically, my life is walking around Nineveh telling of the compassion of God. That's what my life's about. Do I see my life that way? Or is my life a boat trip to Tarshish, hiding, protecting, keeping, preserving? I mean, it's one or the other. And the the story ends. We don't know how Jonah answered the question. It doesn't matter at all because the question's for us. Forget Jonah for a moment. What, what are we going to do with that? See, that's the point of ending the way it does. Now, speaking of odd endings, I want to end this message in a different way. I'm going to I'm actually going to invite Marty Sweeterman to join me in a moment. Marty is our pastor of children's ministry, and we're going to end the message together. And uh, stick with me on this, because the reason I, I want to do this is I think Marty can actually help help us grasp the enormity. I, I think Marty can help us feel the weight of God's overwhelming love and compassion. I want to be very clear that what Marty and I are talking about, and the reason I'm doing it this way is because it fits in the passage in this way. It's, it's, it's the compassion of God. That's what we're talking about. And the implications of that compassion on our lives. That's the principle. But I want you to know the application we're going to talk about, hear me on this, it's not for everyone. So take a deep breath no one's going to stand up here and go, everyone needs to go do this. You need to be a part of this. No, it's not. But I think that when we understand what God is doing amongst us and his heart has always been, and we actually kind of get a glimpse of some people who've taken some tremendous steps of faith, it, it's not, there's no, no guilt or shame in that. It's just, it raises the whole tide and we see the unstoppable love of God and the power his compassion when we walk in it. Marty, come on up here. Um, I'll, I'll get us started this way. Um, today is National Orphan Sunday. Now, I wouldn't have not have known that if I didn't know Marty Sweeterman and Marty led us as a church in many of these ways. And so it's National Orphan Sunday. And the the adoption orphan foster care ministry at Fellowship has a story, and I want Marty just to just to tell a little piece of that story because I've been doing some things for 10 years, and God has been up to something over 10 years that I want you to hear some of that. It's called Moses Basket. So with Marty, I'll, I'll, I'll stop with that. It's called Moses Basket, and I'll let you take it from there to describe what that is and kind of how this thing get started and what's going on there. Awesome. Thank you, Lloyd. Well, our adoption ministry is called the Moses Basket. If you remember the story of Moses, he was saved by being put in a basket in the Nile and so forth. So in a way, our adoption ministry is about salvation. And it's about God's great salvation. But also, like you were just saying, Lloyd, it's about in us being involved in God's story of salvation and actually proclaiming that and being Christ to others throughout the world. And uh, if you know anything about fellowship, fellowship's about maturing in the faith and giving your lives away. It always has been that way. And somewhere around 2003, we decided to do a conference here at Fellowship called Hope for Orphans. It was not because we had a grand scheme. It's not because we had a strategy. 
It's because we had some friends and we want, they wanted to prototype this conference here. Hope for Orphans came. So did about a couple hundred other people came. And the response was immediate and it was enormous. It was as if our hearts had been prepared for that moment. It wasn't, should we, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? But it was like, Lord, where do you want us to go? What is it that you want us to do? Where do you, what is this, how is this going to change me? And I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. And immediately after that conference, people started their processes of adoption. It was unlike anything we had ever, ever experienced mm-hmm. before. And I remember going to the leadership saying, what do we do? And so like being good stewards of what we think God's doing in our midst, we try to get ahead of it a little bit. So we started offering classes and we started offering pastoral care and we started doing pre-adoption, post-adoption, orphan ministry things. We started doing things in the community and it has been like a rolling thunder. Mm. Now, what's interesting is it kind of rumbles like a bass does like underground because it's not something that we've been real public about. But this is our 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. God is so good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sorry. I do this every service. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. We have adopted nearly 200 to 300 kids into our church over the past 10 years. 10% of our kids... Yeah. of our kids over in the Learning Center are adopted. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people going to Nineveh. Mm -hmm. We've uh, raised nearly half a million dollars and given it away towards adoption and orphan care. Half of the kids that are being adopted now all have special needs. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. We are adopting nearly one child per month coming into the church. We have 20 families right now that are in the process of adoption. And so... um, it, it has been uncanny, Lloyd. I, you know, we're a church that has this little saying about we believe God for only what He can do. Well, I think our adoption ministry is a, a reflection mm-hmm. of that. Well, talk a little bit about, they've got a, a, an insert. Um, I, I want to say again, you know, we're, I'm using this as an application in the principle of compassion, an application for some. And for some, they may want some more information on um, how to con- you know who to contact, what to do with that? Talk a little bit about what's ahead. Okay, that's right. a bit of what's behind us, but what's in front of us and what you see God doing? Right. Where this might go. Well, sometimes I'm kind of uh, one of my core things is I have fear about the future. That's just something about me. But the way that I can mitigate that fear is I can look at the past and I can see has God been faithful there? Then why should I not plan on God being faithful there? Mm-hmm. If God, if I've seen God provide, why shouldn't I look towards the future with hope? And so the, it's with that kind of thought that we're looking at the next 10 years. I really have no idea what the next 10 years could hold. For crying out loud, I'm going to be in my mid-60s by then, and you're all going to have to be <laughs> pushing me around in a walker or a wheelchair or something. I don't know. But I do know what the next six months is going to hold. I have, I, I believe that we know what our marching orders are. And that is that, you know, as we've gone to Nineveh, as we've gone to Ghana, as we've gone to Ethiopia, China, Russia, Moldova, South Korea, as we've gone all over the globe, 
there are kids in our own backyard. There's 120,000 kids in the United States right now who are adoptable, and no one is coming for them. There's 9,000 kids in Tennessee who are in foster care. There's 500 that will age out every year without anyone saying, I'm coming for you. And so we wonder with what kind of compassion can we step into that? And so we, I've asked the leadership and they're all, all aboard with this. We have locked arms with focus on the family and with the Middle Tennessee Orphan Alliance and with about a hundred other churches in the Middle Tennessee area. And we're going to do another conference. And February 22nd, it's on your, on your handout here. On February 22nd, we're going to offer the Wait No More conference. And it is designed to find homes for the children of Tennessee who right now, well, they're like Nineveh. They're waiting. And they're wondering, wondering who will come for me. And so, um, we are, we're not, we're going to step back from putting on the big emotional push. We're not going to be saying that it's for everyone, but it is for some. We believe that. Mm -hmm. We believe that it's possible that in one day we could find enough homes for every child in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. How great of a God we might serve Mm -hmm. if that could be possible. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you can look at your flyer. That information is on there. Also, to, uh, today we have an adoption picnic. Uh, this is our 10th anniversary. We'll have 200 to 300 people back in the back barn. Corky's Barbecue, mm-hmm. pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. If you want to hang out, please do so. There's another conference. If you just want to learn more about adoption and uh, international and domestic adoption, there's a conference next weekend you can learn about. And then in the bottom left-hand side, it says Talk with Marty. That should say Coffee with Marty. If mm-hmm. you, I actually get paid. I'm so blessed. I get paid to do this job. And I get paid to have coffee with people like you wondering, how can I get involved? Mm -hmm. So if if there's anything stirring in your heart, if there's any part of you that might be saying, how how could I even use my business? How could I use my life? Um, I'd love to talk Mm -hmm. with you. Marty, I know that it's not just you leading it and not just you talking to others, but uh, you personally involved with an adoption. So tell tell us... uh, what moved you to take a step, step, and what has that done in your life and your family? Now you're just wanting to make me cry. No, no. I'm yeah, not. you are. You already have. I know. <laughs> this is where I get ugly crying. I but it's could. personal. It's. It is. Yeah. Well, I was sitting right back in there during that that first. Ah, here it comes. Okay, stop it, Marty. First conference, that Hope for Orphans conference, I, I was I was the promoter of it. It was my job to host the conference. And I was sitting back there, and you know how when you're a promoter, you can get full of the details. And, and uh, But I sat back there, and I can remember um, Stephen Curtis Chapman playing his uh, When Love Takes You In, right here. And there was a video playing. And at the end of the video, there's all these kids. Uh, they were orphans, but now families are coming, and they're picking them up. And... Um, and so one, a girl is picked up, a boy is picked up, another girl is picked up. And then they had an alternate ending for us that just shook me. And that is there was this little toddler, a little boy in the grass, and he was crawling, and he crawled towards some adult feet. And all you could see was the feet. And then the, the child climbed up on the pants and kind of had that look like, pick me up. And it's sort of like the ending of Jonah. You expected there to be like some hands to reach down and to grab that child and call him his own. But it ended without that. It ended with no hands. Mm-hmm. 
I'll tell you, I was back there, and if you want to see some ugly crying going on, that was when it was really happening. I knew that I knew that I knew that God was calling me into the world of adoption. But I had two fears. One was that I was too old, and one was that it was cost too much money. And once God dealt with that, we uh, chose to adopt a baby girl from China, and we did that six years ago. And you know that verse that talks about whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me. In a real way, I feel mm, like I kiss the face of Jesus to bed, uh, asleep every night. I tuck her into bed. And um, it changes me. Mm-hmm. It lets me know about my adoption, my salvation, how I am loved, how God pursued me. And, uh, uh, and so I am a different person as a result of that. Let's all stand and... I will send us out with a a, a few thoughts as we leave. Uh, As I'll say it again, you know, I I use the Orphan Sunday and Adoption Foster Care as as one application. It's not for everyone. I want to be careful on that. But the principle here is the compassion always goes, moves, acts to, 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 to reach to grab, to get, to rescue, to save the helpless and the undeserving. And may I say this, by the way, think about this in, in the passage. Nineveh, yes, they were, they were someone that's helpless and undeserving, but do you understand that they were very powerful and mighty? So you always think, well, we have to go to a third world country. No. The powerful and mighty. Uh, how about to, to everyone? <laughs> There's no one that's not trapped in their sin. But it, it's the compassion of God and he moves. And so I want, I want to hold this here to, to say to all of us, we all hold a chalkboard like this. You know, God's thought toward you right now is this. And you go, well, no, he, you don't understand where I'm at right now. Well, you don't know what I did last night. You don't. No, no. See, this is the heart of God. You, you are loved. And when we know we are loved, okay, then we go and we take that love to others. And that's why even in talking about what we've talked about here, I hope no one walks out of here like on a guilt trip or anything like that. No, it's not at all. I hope, I hope at some level we go more in a deeper way. I can't believe God loves me so much because he loves me because I'm a Ninevite. I am. And he came and he rescued me. I'm loved. And I'll tell you, when we live out of that, then we extend that compassion to others. Father, we know that we are recipients of your graciousness, your compassion, your slowness to anger, and abundance of loving kindness. May it flow from us to all, to all, by your spirit who lives in us to make your love known. Amen. God bless. You are loved.